Hey everyone and welcome to season three of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. This is episode number four. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, we are heading across the other side of the world today as we speak to two-time Olympic champion, former world record holder, and one of Great Britain's greatest ever swimmers in Rebecca Adlington. Had a Zoom call with Rebecca a few weeks ago now and had a blast going through her remarkable career from beginning at her local pool as a young girl to breaking a long-standing world record and winning gold in the 800 freestyle at Beijing. There really wasn't much more she did not achieve in her career after that. We also discussed the 2012 London Olympic experience, life after swimming, being a mum and a whole lot more. So get set for some fun, enjoyable and intriguing chat. Listen carefully as there's some great takeaway words of wisdom from one of the best distance swimmers to ever race and get ready because Ep4 with Rebecca Adlington starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Joining me today on the show from across the world is a two-time Olympian, Olympic gold medalist. She is a former world record holder and a world champion. She's also a Com Games gold medalist. She is one of Great Britain's greatest ever swimmers, and we are very fortunate to have her on the podcast today. It's a very big welcome to Off the Block Swimming podcast to Rebecca Adlington. How are you going, mate? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good. I'm, I'm very good. What have you been up to today? Um, not much, seeing as it's about half past nine. <laughs> so it's just the start of my day. Your day's probably been long and busy, but um, no, just the start of my day, dropping my school, uh, my daughter off at school. So um, it's been an all right morning. I've had my breakfast. I've had my Weetabix. I'm ready. Yeah. How good is Weetabix? How, how many Weetabix do you have? I've got to ask. I only have two, but when I swam, I used to have six and that was like quite excessive. <laughs> When uh, me and my daughter have Weet-Bix and, and she's always stealing mine, she's nearly two, but she, anytime I've got it, she wants it. So I actually have to have like seven or eight because in the end, I end up sharing with her that if I, if I only had six, I wouldn't be getting much. <laughs> now, mate. Uh, my daughter likes chocolates. Oh, yeah. It's good for bribing. Yeah, she really likes Yeah, she likes those. <laughs> now what's life been like for you uh over there at the moment obviously the pandemic's going on it's affected everybody differently depending on on where you live how's life changed for yourself yeah it's been massively different um i think it's one of those that lockdown hit us in march um not sure when it's kind of how long it's been for you guys um my daughter started back school i want to say three weeks ago um because she was in one of the classes she's only in reception so their year got to go back so it's kind of been really nice for her because she's had adult company for three months and she's literally like you don't play the same and i'm like i'm sorry like i don't know how to play with this i'm like ah 
I just don't have the imagination of like the kids and the role play stuff. Like I'm happy to play like an actual game. I'm all for that and I love it and drawing with her and color it and painting and all that sort of stuff. I'll get involved. But when I'm playing with a Barbie, I just don't know. I'm like, I don't do the voice right and I don't do it properly. That's just, oh gosh, man. Um, so yeah, it's uh, been nice that she's back with the kids um, and we're now able to start like seeing family and things like that. So been able to see my family at the weekends. That was so lovely because it's been just so long and still haven't gone swimming yet. So our pools don't open for another two weeks. So once the pools are open, I'll then be happy and it's complete and then I can carry on with life. <laughs> I was going to ask, because I'm sure you're across, you know, what, what's going on over there with the pools being open. I know yours, obviously, as you just said, aren't, but are there, are there other pools around that, that are starting to open? Are the, are the British swimmers being able to get back in? Yeah, so the two performance centres we've got, so I know Bath and Loughborough, so where our main athletes are, and um, they opened probably about a month to six weeks ago. They opened quite a bit ago, but there was only so many athletes that could go, and that was done on rankings. Um, so people like Adam Peaty and like the main guys, they were able to kind of get back in um, a couple of weeks ago, which was good. But they all had these like big, massive, endless pool things in their gardens. Yeah, I did, I did so see that. that. So that was just incredible. I was just like, they're huge and they've just taken over their house. I was like, oh my gosh, but at least they were then able to swim and whatever. But yeah, they've been back um, a couple of weeks. It's just all the other clubs, like for anyone else that's not top ranking, like they're not back, but outdoor pools are now open and you're allowed to go open water swimming. So a lot of people have just done that. They've whacked a wetsuit on and just gone open water. I know all the Scottish guys have been um, open water training most of the time and stuff like that or getting in the sea so i think that's still been good for them i guess but just freezing <laughs> i was gonna say crazy people what what about yourself mate would you have would you have gotten back in would you have done a bit of open water swimming if you had to well i looked at it but you could i just couldn't book on the ones that I, where i live in manchester there was only like two days a week and they were both like it not great spot they're always like eight o'clock at night and I was like I've got a five-year-old that doesn't kind of work it just kind of like oh not the best so I was just never able to go if they were on in the day it would have been way easier but the timings but I'm holding out and my daughter keeps saying to me all the time mummy I want to go swimming mummy I want to go swimming I'm like so do I just like patience in a few weeks we'll be back and it'll be fine now I've got to ask if, if if you were still swimming at the moment, if you were still an athlete, how do you think you would have gone through this period? You know, given the lockdowns and not being having access to the pool and the the Olympics being postponed, how how do you think you would have coped? I think it's a really tough one because you want to say to yourself that you would have handled it really well, but in reality, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I probably would have freaked out. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably different for different athletes at different stages. I think if this was coming into Beijing, I probably would have been okay because I've been young and um, get more hard work under my belt and do some different sort of training. Whereas if this was coming into London, I think I would have really struggled because I was no, I know I was at the end of my career. My body couldn't do the same work. I couldn't recover as quick. I had a little more niggles and it's kind of like struggling to kind of keep up that that mental man, mental strain and the emotional strain and everything else. So I think it just depends where you are in your career. Because I think I've spoken to a lot of the guys and they're some are just not phased by it. Some of them are like, yep, yeah, fine. Like that hard work that I've done, I've not lost it. It's there. I know it's in the bag and we can now just have a full year ahead to prepare. And they're just not phased by it. And then I've spoken to other people that are just kind of like, 
oh my gosh, I'm now really worried because of them younger guys are coming up and they're going to be in a much better state because they were a bit too young probably this year, but next year they're going to be like in their prime. So I think it just depends where you are. And I really, really feel for those guys that kind of were like, this was their last chance at qualifying and they're now clinging on and they're kind of really, it's going to be hit or miss whether they make it. I do really struggle for those guys. Like I do empathize with them. Yeah, I'm in the same position with the podcast. Obviously, we've, I talk to a lot of the Aussie athletes and um, yeah, there, it's been mixed, you know. As you said, there's been some that were going in with um, with injuries. So to them, you know, this is like a silver lining. This is another year to get ready for, for the Olympics because had it have been now and they had to go to trials, they don't know how they would have gone. But then there's others that were looking at this year as being their last. And as you said, you know, I, I think it's a, definitely a tough position for them to go another year. And now that, you know, I, I mean... I don't want to cast aspersions, but it's, it's not a guarantee that 2021 is actually going to go ahead. So that's still lingering in the, in the mind as well. Exactly. There's definitely still talk of what's going to happen, isn't there? And I mean, the thing is for us, like our football is our biggest sport, soccer, whatever you guys call it over there. But for us, that is like the biggest sport. And that's been going back ahead. The Premier League started back. They've done that, all that behind closed doors. So it does make you think, you know what? If the Olympics is closed doors, you can do it because the football has got millions, like billions invested into it. So actually, same with the Olympics. It can still happen. It would just be so weird if it does happen behind closed doors and there's no spectators. I just can't imagine. It's just going to feel like, a Sunday gala for these guys. It's going to be so weird if that happens because I just think that's what makes the Olympics amazing. Like for you guys in Australia, swimming's quite a big sport. Here, you get like your mum and dad in the stands. Like for here, it's just like nobody. So to then go to like a massive crowd at the Olympics, it really hypes it. Whereas I think if it's just no one again, it'll just be a bit like, is this a little gala? Like it'll just be a bit strange. <laughs> yeah. Mate, let's take a, a little trip down memory lane for you. How did swimming start for you and what drew you towards the pool? Um, I've got two older sisters, um, so both of them could fully swim by the time I came along. Um, and I live in the smallest town ever, like is where I grew up. There's nothing to do, but we had two swimming pools. So everyone can swim where I grew up. And it was just, that was the way everyone just went to the pool. Um, and it was just a family thing that we all did as well. And I think being the baby of a family, you're always more competitive. Like you just follow your big sisters around. Like I was just like, they're in the big pool. I want to be with them and I was just like a little sheep and I just didn't want to be in the baby pool I didn't want my armbands on didn't want any of that and I just had no fear which was really good but I think seeing people that can fully swim gave me that okay this is what it's meant to look like they really helped the progression because I was like okay I know what it's meant to look like I know how to get there I want to copy them so I just did Mm. Um, and I absolutely loved it I loved being in the water as a kid my birthday parties or just on holidays I just absolutely loved it was it always swimming i mean did you play any other sports i know you and your family are, are into football i think it's derby in particular i think you guys follow over there so it was was that ever an option for you to go down to women's sports now in terms of football and, and all that sort of stuff is going off oh now it is yeah back then no chance like 20 years ago there was no chance of like any other sort of women's sport in that way, unless you're part of the Olympics, like cycling and swimming and everything. But um, 
I did like stuff at school. Like I played netball at school. Um, I did running and things like that. My mum tried me at ballet and that straight away got panned because you only have to meet me to know I'm not a ballerina in any shape or form. So that was like, hurrah. Um, that just disappeared pretty quick. But um, yeah. Did that upset her? Was she, was, she, was she keen for you to do the dancing? No, no, gosh, no. She just wanted me to do something that was like, that was 20 years ago or even 30 years ago. That was just what you put your kids into was yeah. just women, the girls. If you had a girl, they went to dance and ballet. If you had a boy, they did football. That was just it. That was the only thing available in this country really was to do that. Um, whereas it's changed now. Like it's just not kind of the same. Like my daughter does tennis and swimming. She does loads of different sports. Whereas it kind of just wasn't the same back then. Um, so yeah, she quickly realized it wasn't for me. And she was like, that's absolutely fine. Let's drop that one and just focus on, on, the, on the other ones that you're better at. <laughs> I must admit, we've been talking recently about my daughter. I said she's turning two soon. And um, anytime there's music on TV or any, could be just a theme song to Spirit. Her favorite TV show is Spirit on Netflix, the, the horse. Um, but it, the she just starts bopping and she starts dancing and I think oh no I'm gonna have to take her to dance lessons aren't I I can just see it she just loves it so much oh but it's amazing like when they love it and things like that like my daughter's really arty and I am the least arty creative person you'll ever meet and I really struggle with that so I'm like I don't know what to do here she kind of teaches me but she yeah. it's amazing when kids have that they just are born with it and they just absolutely love it and they end up teaching you and you're like okay let's roll with this and I sit in some classes and I go what the hell I'm learning stuff I sit there like wow like that's amazing and she's just like yeah that's easy and I'm like oh <laughs> sod off <laughs> I uh yeah I definitely worry as she gets older and brings homework home because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed so I'm not looking forward to her bringing yeah. homework dad can you help me with homework uh we might need to look at a tutor because I don't know if I can help you with this we do something called phonics here. I don't know whether you guys do it with how they learn um, to read. So they do the alphabet and they do it in phonics rather than A, B, C, D, E, how I would normally say the alphabet. They're like A, B, K, D, E, F, D. That has totally thrown me because I go, oh, if I'm spelling things out to her, I go, what is it in phonics? And it's like really hard to read. And when they put the word, the letters together and I'm like, oh my God, even phonics, even I'm struggling at five, I'm like, oh my God, this is a bit of a challenge. Why can't you just learn it as A, B, C, D, E? I'm like, come on, that's how I learn. We're fine. Oh, that does not make me feel any easier. I'm I'm about three years behind you, so that does not make set my heart at ease at all. Um, mate, for a lot of people out there, there is a, a moment, a specific moment they look back on. Could be in training, could be in a competition, but there's a moment as a youngster where they go, "Yep, uh, this is what I want to do." Was there a moment in in your swimming career as a youngster where you went, "Yeah, I, I really want to get stuck into this and and be the best that I can." Yes, 100%. So um, Manchester Commonwealth Games in 2002, um, my parents got me tickets and they got all of us, all my family tickets because my sisters were really into swimming and we went and watched and we were lucky enough to watch Ian Thorpe's 400 free at, um, in Manchester. And I remember being sat in the stands and it was the first time I'd ever seen live sports swimming in that capacity. I'd been to competitions to see my sister, but never like 
a Commonwealth Games or Europeans or com- never like a, a major competition. Um, so being sat in the stands, A, I was like, this is incredible. Like there's a crowd and there's a buzz and the atmosphere was just amazing. And the pool looked incredible and seeing um, different athletes, like I'd never seen international athletes before. Um, and obviously Ian Thorpe as well, just yeah. what an, to see somebody like an Ian Thorpe race was just, wow. I remember just being like staring at him. I was like his technique and just how fast he was and I'd never seen someone swim that fast in real life before I was like I was only like 12 13 at the time and it just opened my eyes up and seeing that race as well because that was just an incredible race that he swam in the 400 and I I just was like this is what I want to do I got goosebumps I was literally sat there and I was just like I want to do this this is amazing and I think uh, yeah it definitely started that buzz and definitely got the momentum going of okay I'd love to compete and not just as like a hobby. Mm. Now, I mean, body image is, is a big thing with our younger athletes coming through and, and more so for girls, but even with the boys, you know, we're starting to see it with certain boys wanting to look bigger and, and stronger and whatever they're seeing on Instagram is what they want to want to copy. So they're a bit self-conscious uh, around that. You know, was that anything that you went through as a younger athlete and what advice would you give to the young kids coming through that sort of do go through those sort of things? Oh, definitely. I have always been one of the biggest girls on the team. Um, I was always the one that had puppy fat. Oh, I'm just broad is what we call it in this country. <laughs> um, that was just like, oh, you're just big boned. Yeah. There's no such thing. What is that? <laughs> okay. And it was like, I remember wanting to get my belly button pierced. At, like it was all the craze here when you were like 12, that everyone got their belly button pierced. And I remember asking my mum and she was like, why don't you wait to lose a little bit of the chub? I still to this day have not got my belly button pierced because I'm still waiting to lose the bit of job that I've got. Oh. I have always just been one of the bigger athletes. And I think growing up for me, that was always kind of really, really difficult because at 12, 13, you don't want to be putting on a swimming costume to see every lump and bump. And it's kind of like one of those that I was really self-conscious. I had slightly bigger boobs than other people growing up and I was like what's this about and I'm a swimmer and you're meant to look really lean and have a six-pack and just be ripped and I just wasn't that I don't think I've ever had a six-pack in my life I just don't think it's physically possible in my body I've just always just been slightly bigger I always used to get so self-conscious when we used to have to get weighed or skin um folds and things like that whenever we used to have to do that on the team I'd always wait to the very end so everyone could leave just so I could get on because it was just I felt embarrassed because everyone else was like oh yeah I weigh nothing and then I'd get on the scales and they'd be like "Ooh, okay yeah <laughs> might need to do this and it is it is definitely difficult and it is one of those things that I think every athlete goes through different whatever it is insecurities going well I'm not as tall as them or I'm not as ripped as them or I'm not as that as them and I think you just have to realize hold on I might not be the most ripped but I'm tall I've got a really good technique and I tried to just focus on things that I did have that were my strengths and a lot of I kind of learned the older I got as well that's where my power came from I didn't need to lift weights I was already kind of a bit stronger than some of the other girls just naturally and actually being that slightly bit heavier gave me that advantage. Um, so I just tried to focus on those things rather than the negative, but it took a long time, definitely. 
In 2006, you competed in the European Championships in, in Budapest. And the thing with the European champs uh, over there is even though they're missing a few countries, the competition, the competition is still so fierce. I mean, I think the one that I, I had a look at earlier was British Stefan, Therese Alshema was there, uh, Manadu, and, and you did pretty well. I think you came away with a silver medal in the, in the 800 behind Manadu at that one. How much did you learn from that meet uh, that helped you moving forward? And we'll get to 2008 in, in a moment, but did you take anything away from that meet and those early exposures to major competitions? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Europeans has always been um, quite a tough competition for us um, because like you say, the field is still stacked, even though you, you are missing Australia and America and stuff, it's still not a walk in the park. Mm. Um, it is still a challenge. It's just kind of on par, same with Commonwealth Games. Um, it's still that level of competition is still there. Um, and I remember going, I'd missed out on the Commonwealth Games um, in 2006 because I had dealt with illness um, and my, there was, my sister was ill um, with a brain virus as well, um, encephalitis. So I kind of missed a chunk of training um, just with battling illness. And I'd missed out on the Commonwealth Games. I was devastated not to make that Commonwealth Games because I thought what a stepping stone this would be in my career to make a Commonwealth Games. And I missed out on that. So then to qualify for a Europeans and go to a Europeans, I felt like, oh, okay, I'm slightly back on track. It kind of gave me a confidence boost because even though I'd missed out on something and hadn't experienced something that all of my friends and peers were, especially my age at that time, everyone had gone. Um, so it was kind of one of those that I felt, oh, okay, I'm not rubbish. I kind of got a bit of confidence back. Um, and again, it was my first proper senior competition. So I think it opened my eyes and that transition from junior summer to senior summer is quite a hard one to make because you're just so used to the people that you're used to racing. Um, and there was athletes here that I'd never seen before I'd never known anything about them so to just kind of absorb everything as well I can't I can remember just kind of watching a lot of the senior athletes and what do they do and what can I pick up on and what, what's going to help me and I can remember just kind of being a little bit of a sponge and just taking everything in and luckily came away with a silver medal as well which gave me so much confidence especially at that point that I was just like okay I'm not crap I'm, I am pretty good I can I can do this and I think it's just that belief in myself that I really need at that period of my life well it definitely helped you you know 2008 in beijing um we we know you smashed it and before we get to the olympics um you know I, i'm also interested in the preparation for for beijing was it just a great training block um did you change anything in training i mean what what went so right for you in 2008 that maybe didn't go right for you in a year earlier at the world champs yeah, I think it was for me, for after that 2006 moment at the Europeans, I just had a solid two years of amazing training. Um, and when I made the World Championships team in 2007 and came to Melbourne to swim and everything, I just, all my training was there. I was so set up to swim well. And I just got way too nervous. I remember being next to the girl at the time, ranked number one, Kate Ziegler, in the heat. And I just freaked out it was the lights and the stand and just everything and I just freaked out it was just it was an incredible venue but it just terrified me and I let nerves get the better of me and I like cried for pretty much three days straight and only because I was disappointed in myself and I knew I had done the work as well I knew I had had such a good year of training and I think I just said to myself then I was like 
I'm never going to be in this situation again. You've got to believe in yourself a lot more because I've done the work and only I'm disappointed. And I carried on that momentum of I just got straight back in the pool, even though I hadn't raced very well. I kind of didn't let it phase me. I kind of was even more determined after not making the final and not having a good performance that I just was like, this isn't happening again. This is no longer being the situation where I'm getting too nervous. I'm not not making a final, no way. And it just changed my mentality a little bit and I was even more driven to succeed. Um, and I, so it was just that two years of sheer hard work that kind of really helped. And I just thought to myself, no one else it is not possible to be working harder than I am right now because every day I was pushing my body to the limit. I was just going above and beyond with the training that I was just like, it's not possible. How can anyone else be training faster than me? So I knew that that confidence was there um, and that hard work was there. And I had a really consistent block as well. Like I hadn't had an illness or injury. So I think that really helps as well. But you won gold in, in the 400 and the 800 and the 800 in particular, you must've been pretty proud of it. It was a big moment. You beat Janet Evans world record. And to that time, I think it was the longest standing world record at that moment. So that must've been a pretty overwhelming feeling for you. Oh, massive. I mean, the 400 was such a shock. So the, I think because the 400 was so unexpected, I mean, I didn't even think I'd make the final for the 400. Like even my parents didn't come out for the 400. And after I won, they, I, when I phoned them, they were like, why didn't you tell us? I was like, I didn't know. I was <laughs> like, it was, it was literally such a shock to me, my family, my coach, everyone. So I think that's always a nice one because it was the first one. It was a shock. It was a bonus if you like it was just such a close race as well like every time I watch that race back I go how on earth did I win that I still don't know um whereas for the eight it was just so different like my mum and dad were there in the stands it was just kind of like I knew I was winning it was kind of like a whole different situation I didn't expect the world record I really didn't um like you said it was just such an old world record that nobody had even like talked about it being broken because no one's PB was even close to it so everyone kind of didn't even mention the world record and uh, yeah it was never something that was even in my target at all um so to get that was just unbelievable and I met her afterwards actually and that was just so lovely because I just was like in awe of her and this tiny little woman came up to me and I was like you're tiny I can put you up and put you in my pocket I was like how did you do so fast it was just unbelievable and what a, just a, a huge honor to meet her as well um, and she was so lovely about it as well she was just even though she's american she doesn't obviously support us in in the uk but she was just so pleased that somebody broke it and it kind of had moved on and that was just such a lovely um thing as well but yeah a complete shock i remember my coach bill furness um saying to me after that race, he was like, I want to be the first person to tell you, you're double Olympic champion, your life's going to change. And I genuinely laughed at him. I genuinely was like, don't be so silly. That's not going to happen. And how wrong I was. And life definitely did change in that moment. But uh, yeah, it was just an incredible moment. Memories I'll just cherish forever. We've mentioned the year before uh, and that you sort of doubted yourself slightly. And obviously there's no doubt this time, you, you know, you were ready to rumble, but you know, were there certain things in the warm up? Were there certain things in your preparation that you, you spoke to yourself about in terms of staying, you know, motivated, not motivated, but sort of staying positive and, and staying, you know, switched on. 
Yeah, preparation for me was just, I loved being organized. So I was just, if I felt in control and organized in that way, that aided my confidence. So I knew for me, I like to do a certain same warm up every time, like a bit of not superstition because I don't, I'm not like a Rafa Nadal who has to bounce the ball three times and do these weird things. But yeah, pull his pants same, out five times. Yeah, I'm not kind of that level, but at the same time, I think being organized, like I like to get out of the warm up pool an hour before I was going to dive in for the race, get into the call room at a certain time, like making sure that I've had the snack that I like and things like that. So being prepared definitely helps, but definitely in the warm up, I think for me, it was just about staying relaxed and it, I didn't like to overthink. I didn't um, take anything kind of above it than it was in my head. I think if that's the right way of putting it. My coach always used to say to me, just focus on three things. And I just used to repeat them. And it was just those three things. If, if for me, I got the three things right, which were my stroke length, my stroke rate and keeping it nice and smooth and not rushing the first 25, I'd be sweet. I knew that then I'd be set up. Um, I just needed to do that the first like the 50 meters. And I think it was that for me and just kind of keeping that in my head for me, just going over something and visualization as well was really big for me. I used to have to like stand behind the block and I used to pretend I used to like draw the curtains on the rest of the pool and just focus on my lane. I really had to switch off from everyone else. Like I couldn't worry about what somebody else was doing. I couldn't get easily distracted going, well, what's she doing? She's playing mind games. And yeah. I just used to get distracted. So for me, visualization, I can't even say it, um, was so key and just kind of keeping that. It's just me. It's just a lane. I'm just putting my hat and goggles on, going for a swim, keeping it nice and simple. Now, mate, no doubt you're a hard worker. You don't have to look at the events that you competed in uh, to see that you weren't afraid of a bit of hard work in training and you self-mentioned that lead up to, to Beijing and how you just smashed yourself and, and worked as hard as you could. What are some of the toughest sets you've done? Oh, gosh, it was just relentless amount of being a distance swimmer. It was just relentless. So I remember doing 10 800s once and that was just an absolute killer. 10 800s off 10 minutes. I think I literally just couldn't walk for the rest of the day after that one. But um, as I got older, it was tend to be like the kind of really brutal sessions like the 10 800s or kind of like 24s or kind of like those kind of beast mode sessions were very much when I was younger as I got older Bill my coach was really into just quality he was just like right we're not doing garbage yardage it's like we're not just doing meters for the sake of doing meters he was like your technique breaks down when you're just doing repetitive meters you don't get anything from it he was like let's just focus on quality and technique and that kind of really came out and a lot of the sessions we used to do 3100s best average the whole way through it was all about kind of maintaining the same pace each time um it was never a case of right i do 29 and then just beast mode the last one. Like that was like, no, he was like, that's not going to do anything. It was all about kind of keeping that quality there. Um, and you really used to work on that. And some of the sessions I used to do, um, 2200s, I used to do 10, 300s, like very just 
average sort of sessions, but it was just about keeping that quality there and how fast I could go throughout without my technique break. And as soon as my technique would go off, he used to stop me and be like, right, take an extra 10 seconds because I want you to do this one with better technique. And I was like, right, okay. And it was all about that for me, just kind of like not letting it kind of get out of control. Because when, you know, when you're tired, your arms swing everywhere. You're just like, just get me to the wall. Whereas my coach was just a real stickler for not letting that happen and technique was going to carry me so far when I was then tired in the races. So um, I'm definitely glad he preferred the quality because I definitely didn't enjoy some of the, the sessions that we used to have to do. Definitely not. Yeah. It didn't sound, it didn't sound like very much fun. Um, hey, as far as distance swimmers go, and I asked Grant Hackett the same question uh, earlier this morning, what sets you guys apart from the rest? Do you think, it, you know, is a distance swimmer is a different breed? Is there a certain mentality that, you know, goes behind, you know, looking at a set, as you said, with 10, 800s and going, all right, let's go. Here we go. I'm going to really challenge myself and have a hit out here because I'm, a, you know, you give that to a, a sprinter and they're just going to walk straight back out the front door. <laughs> I think they just must have a really good tolerance for boredom is what I think because I just think it is just staring at a black line at the bottom of the pool, but like I never used to get that bored and I just think we just have a really good tolerance for that and I think we are just... Um, a little bit of one of those that we like the self-inflicted pain like we like to be the first ones in the pool the last ones out the pool we kind of like to push our bodies in a different way I mean sprinters have to push themselves in a totally different way they're definitely more out of breath or especially gym work and things like that whereas distance swimmers it's just that kind of brutal mentality um, it's just kind of like nothing will kind of phase us it's like right come out us what else have you got like throw something else and um, yeah I just think we deal with boredom very well um, as well and just able to keep going which definitely helps but I always say this I wish I could have been a sprinter I really do but I just had no speed but um, yeah distance has definitely have that and I think we kind of like that like I liked the pain I loved training um, I don't know a lot of athletes that hated the racing and loved the training, but that was just me. I, and I just, I miss the training now. I don't miss racing at all. Whenever people ask me, I'm like, nope, I never want to race again in my life. Thanks. But I really miss the training. I really miss that pushing your body to the limit every day. And I think distance swimmers have that in us because we're, we're not competitive all the time. But I think when it comes to those kind of sorts of, sorts of environment in training, we thrive on those. Mm. Now, given what you've achieved in our sport and, and all that you've, you know, you've, you've accomplished, it's kind of hard sometimes to go through each meet and each, each accomplishment one by one and we'll be here all day and you're going to miss your, your next appointment. So what I think I'll do is I'll give you the year and I'll give you a, a meet or a championships and then you just tell me your best memory or, or story from that championship. So that way you get to tell the story and I don't lead it. Um, we'll start with uh, what about 2009 World Champs in Rome? Do you know what? The atmosphere there was unbelievable. Um, I think it was because that year it was just world record, world record, world record, yeah, the world super record. Suits. The super suits. And for me, I, I made the decision not to wear a super shiny suit. So I knew for me it was going to be a tougher competition. But I have to say, still to this day, it's the best crowd I've ever experienced. 100%. Did, did you enjoy swimming outside? The yes, the atmosphere was just amazing. The venue was incredible in Rome. The noise that it made, I always thought in my head, indoor pools will be louder because it's contained. No, like Rome was just 
something else the noise and the atmosphere in the crowd it was just unbelievable and yes I didn't get gold medals there or anything I was still lucky to get on the podium I remember trying to throw the flowers up at my mum and they came back down and hit me on the head that was quite embarrassing in front of everyone because I couldn't do it but um it was just like you know what I just knew that me I wasn't going to be gold medalist gold medalist gold medalist and everyone was looking at me and expecting me to do that but at the same time I didn't have a total shocker it wasn't like I didn't make the finals or anything else I still managed to pick up a few medals and stuff and for me that will always be a hard moment in my career especially a year after the games but at the same time such an amazing competition that I can't help but smile when I think of Rome because the just the venue the atmosphere everything it was like really the last time I raced properly outdoors a full major competition as well so it was just nice memories that 2010 com games in delhi and please don't tell me it was you know you had an upset tummy oh god i think everyone did <laughs> it was just kind of like the toilets had never been in use so much i think the toilets at the pool kept getting clogged it was just <laughs> ridiculous it was just yeah it was different and not what i expected from the commonwealth games i think I'd heard so many stories from Melbourne and other Commonwealth Games. And then Delhi was just very different because like one of my roommates got E. coli as well. So she was just so ill and it yeah. was just awful. Like it was just seeing your teammates just drop like flies and you were just like, nothing you could do. It was just absolutely mad. Luckily I just stuck to bread. I think I'd never put on so much weight at a competition before in my whole entire life because I just stuck to bread. I was like, I'm not eating anything but bread. Um, wasn't the best fuel, that's for sure, but tasty, I guess. Um, but yeah, for me, I was just so glad to kind of get back on track with kind of getting back into gold medals and for it to be my first competition. And for us as well, like it's probably a bit different for you guys because obviously you're always just representing Australia, whereas it was the first time I'd represented England and not Team GB. So that was a total shift and just having way more British guys on the team with it being split. Um, and obviously we knew everyone and it is a friendly games. It 100% is. And I love all the Australian athletes as well. Like I got on really, really well with the Aussies. I came out and trained um, with you guys for six weeks after the Commonwealth games, actually. I just was like, I need to get out of this country. I'm kind of just sick of this same environment. So I came and trained in Brisbane and did a little bit in Sydney, but mainly in Brisbane with uh, Mike Bowl and them guys. Just absolutely loved it. So I kind of had this really nice relationship. So Commonwealth Games was just friendly. Even though everyone was ill, it was just friendly. And we flew home and we didn't go to the closing ceremony or anything. So it was kind of a weird competition. But for me personally, um, it was kind of like the switch of textile suits as well. So that was the first time people, I'd really raced against people that were 100% textile back to kind of the knee suits and everything like that. So my times weren't there, but for me to get two gold medals, I was just like, I'm back on track. This is good news. <laughs> What about uh, 2011 World Champs in Shanghai? Oh, that was just, I actually watched that race back the other night with my mum and dad. Um, I'd never ever watched that race back. My, in lockdown, my parents have been going through all the sh their sheds and cupboards and everything, clearing everything out. And he was like, Becky, I found this race today. I'd never watched it before. And we sat there and watched it. And it was just weird watching it back because A, I feel so young and so different now, but um, so many different things I kind of hadn't remembered. I hadn't remembered. I had only really remembered me and Lottie Fries doing a head-to-head -head in the 800. Whereas there was nice things to pick up from that and the rest of the team and the venue and things like that. But the 400, I remember it not, I, I think I got a silver there. 
um, and I wasn't feeling too great. I always struggle going that side with Japan, uh, going to Japan, I always struggle with jet lag. So I remember just not kind of feeling the best after the 400. My coach just put me to bed for like two days. He was like, I don't want you to come out of your room. You're not coming to the pool. Just go and sleep and rest. And that's what I did and was able to kind of come away with a gold medal at Worlds. It kind of completed my set um, for me because I had won Olympics. I'd won a Europeans. I'd won a Commonwealth Games. Um, but I hadn't yet won that world gold medal. So for me, it was kind of like the last one that I wanted to achieve. Um, so yeah, it was a nice kind of, topping really because I was able to finish on a high of getting that gold medal and just kind of like feeling a bit of relief especially mm. a year before the games because there is more eyes on you the year the world's the year before the games there is definitely everyone scoping everyone out so that was kind of a nice feeling that um right I'm on the right track my confidence is there I'm glad you mentioned that because in your own words you, you have suffered at times from high expectations either being put on you by yourself or, or or by others and and you know we'll get to the biggest pressure cooker in a moment which was 2012 uh, in London but what in particular did you struggle with the most and, and what strategies did you and your coach sort of put around you to, to help manage that because obviously as you said we if we go back to 2006 2007 you were struggling a little bit but you know by now 2011 obviously gold medal means you've you've kind of getting certain things right for sure so what did you put around you to help you navigate that um I saw well I'd seen or had a sports psychologist for a couple of years that definitely helped me and um, just dealing with that pressure and expectation and managing that the most all the time it was just my own pressure and expectation it was never from anyone else it was just myself i focused way too much on the outcome rather than the process and the journey so that's something for me that um we really worked on together because i would just constantly look at the outcome and that's all that mattered and actually it wasn't it was about the process and the journey and how you go through it all um, and I think that that took a long time to realize and I used to get so nervous like literally like a month before the race I would start feeling sick and just anxious and I'd just be like oh my gosh a ball of nerves already and it wasn't even like the night before it was like a month before it was like so just kind of dealing with that as well and I kind of felt like well, if I don't do it, like then I've got kind of the weight of the team on me and the weight of kind of other people on me, my sponsors, kind of like everyone that I'd see in the supermarket, even just going food shopping would be like, you're going to get two gold medals again. You're going to get two gold medals again. And that was just them wishing me good luck. Yeah. But I twisted that in my head as, oh my gosh, if I don't, I will disappoint them. And I kind of, it was just the way that I used to take that message in, um, which was wrong of me because that's not what they were wanting. I think you just can't help it. You just kind of get freaked out and you think, oh gosh, I really don't want to let anyone down. Um, so that took a long time. Well, I don't think I ever really managed that properly if I'm being completely honest with you. And the pressure that I used to put on myself, I just would expect so much. I think when you've achieved something at such a high level, it's then your PB. People would be like, but it's a world record. And I'm like, but it's still my PB. It doesn't matter what, what the time is. It's still mine. And I still want to better that. And how do you possibly better that? It was always kind of a, a, a tough challenge to manage. Any advice to young swimmers out there listening who, who do suffer through, you know, weight of expectations, whether that be on themselves or, or others definitely putting it on them? Um, I think definitely talking like for me, the best thing I did was get a sports psychologist back then. It was quite like a, 
taboo subject like no one really had them it was kind of a little bit like ooh, like mm -hmm. no one was really honest and open about it whereas now it's very different and a lot of people use sports psychologists it's, it's kind of massively changed and i'm so glad it has um but i think talking to somebody i think everyone feels the pressure and expectation and i think everyone expects athletes to just be excited all the time look forward to the racing all the time and just be happy to get in but that's not always the feelings it is always a case of well i am nervous and what if i don't perform and i think no one talks about that especially athlete to athlete i think that needs to change because you don't sit down with your peers and your teammates and tell them your worries even though they're going through exactly the same because you don't want to burden them or you don't want to pass on a worry or you don't want to seem like you're being negative or moaning in any way whereas actually we need to start having those conversations because we're all going through them and we're all trying to manage them so maybe being that little bit more open and honest about it we can all help each other through it and deal with them because we all feel it every single person on that team feels expectation and pressure so why not have the conversation it doesn't need to be in a negative way it just needs to be in it well what are you doing to deal with it I might learn something from you and how can we all kind of help each other through this process and support one another and what do you need as an athlete that's going to work for you like for me i don't like looking up at the crowd i never used to be one of those athletes that would walk out on poolside look up and wave at the crowd i never used to have the big headphones on pumping music it didn't suit me i didn't like to tell people i was a bit kind of more reserved i never ever communicated to anyone ever i never even wrote it down i want to win an olympic gold medal it just wasn't me whereas other athletes really thrive on that other athletes really like being very open and honest and vocal like i just think of adam Peaty and adam goes i want to break 55 i want to do this and i love his attitude and i love that because he's owned what suits him whereas other people it doesn't suit and that's okay we don't all need to be like big showman people and say everything you can go under the radar a little bit and i think it's just accepting those as well that every athlete is different it doesn't matter if you're not the showy one and if you are the showy one and it works for you brilliant because you found it so i just think like just accepting those different roles and and personalities that make you an individual athlete you mentioned the headphones and music. Did you ever, I know maybe you didn't wear them on the way out, but were you listening to music behind the scenes? Did you have like a, a pre-race playlist that sort of got you going? No, never. I never? literally like, I couldn't listen to music in that way. And um, I used to in the morning, like, like early morning, if I was having my breakfast or just like walking to the, if I was just on the bus or whatever to the venue. And I, if I was on, cause a lot of the time you're on your own then cause everyone's staggered and going down to the pool at different times. But most of the time I never then listened to music. I was always just like one of those that I had to stay really calm. Um, and I just used to talk to people. Um, I talk a lot, as you've probably noticed. Yeah, I haven't noticed. <laughs> I like to chat. <laughs> I like to chat. And I'm just, I just needed to surround myself with people. I would always just go and talk to people. And that's just what I love. And I just used to do it. And I was so lucky in my events. I used to have like my best mate, like Jo um, Jackson at the time. She's now married, so she's not Jo Jackson. But she was the bronze medalist in the 400 in Beijing. I used to be with her all the time. We used to chat utter crap in the call room. I think the other girls used to look at me and Joe and be like, well, you two shut up. But we just, that is what me and Joe needed. We just needed to talk about absolutely nothing and just something that, oh, have you seen this? And yeah, have you seen that? And just like being girls, because it calmed us, it grounded us. And I think that 
you've just it just suited me to just not listen to music and get all serious i don't like being all serious and when everyone's like slapping themselves and like yeah i'm just not that like i am just no like i just think what are you doing just sit down like it's just not for me whereas like that's what used to suit me is just no music not that serious attitude guys it's not life or death we're going for a swim like we don't need to treat it like it is and i think by making it serious it made it bigger than it was and i didn't want to do that so no always having a chat for me worked <laughs> Now, it's been told to me a few times that, you know, world champs are one thing in terms of the spectacle and, and the crowd and the media, but Olympics are a whole other beast. So I've got to imagine that a home Olympics is the ultimate show that, you know, not many people get to experience. I mean, we did here in 2000, which we were very fortunate. And then, you know, you guys then in 2012, before we get to the racing part of it, give us a little insight into the atmosphere. What was it like? What was the buildup with the media and the public? And, you know, it must've been insane. I've spoken to a few Aussie legends in terms of, you know, 2000 and they were always saying, you know, to, with media, they were getting pulled left, right and center. We need to talk to you over here. We need to talk to you over here. Oh, this, this sponsor needs you. Oh, this charity's over here. What was it like for you guys? Exactly that. It was just insane. Everyone under the sun, it felt like, wanted to talk to you. And you were just like, guys, we hadn't even started racing yet. What could we possibly talk about? Like, it was just, it was bizarre. Every single media request you could absolutely imagine. It was just sponsor commitments as well. Things that you had to do with being part of Team GB or British Women had to do. It was just kind of like everywhere you went, everyone was talking about the Olympics, which was amazing because it, it was such an amazing atmosphere. I cannot tell you how different London was. I mean, I'm sure it was the same for you guys that Sydney completely changed when the Olympics were there. I think any Olympic city, it changes when there's an Olympics there. It's not the true city because it just is something insane. It's something incredible. London was the friendliest I've ever seen it. <laughs> That's for sure. Everyone wanted to talk about it. Whether you were a sports fan or not, you just got chatting about the Olympics and everyone got involved and it was just so it's fantastic in that perspective because everyone was just excited whether you had got tickets to watch whether you were a volunteer whether you were just a fan and gonna watch on telly or anything everyone was excited so it was brilliant but it was just the demand on us athletes was just like we were in a pressure cooker it was just and it was so different to what we had experienced especially as swimmers i think some of the biggest sports like football here they're used to that they're used to having all eyes on them and being photographed everywhere they went in training sessions and we had people coming in from other countries that were filming our swimming sessions and we were like what are you filming us for like we're just going through this. like it was just bizarre it was just such a weird environment and social media was bigger then than it was in Beijing and, and before. So again, you were just so accessible and so many people obviously decide to come off social media or stay on or whatever, but everyone had access to you. And that was just a very strange thing. It was very, very weird. I kind of came off a little bit. So I was just like, this is just a weird environment. I've never been in anything quite like this before, but it was definitely a happy one, an exciting one. It was just a strange one and new to us all. And it was just this unknown that we were like, why do they want our photograph? Why are they doing this? We just <laughs> didn't quite see the purpose. <laughs> Mate, competition-wise, you finish with two bronze medals in the four and the eight, which was an awesome effort. How do you look back on those results from London in the pool? 
From the 400, I'm so pleased and proud of. Um, I remember after the heat of the 400, I was actually in the swim down pool crying because I didn't think I'd made the final. I was crying my eyes out going, I can't believe I've not made a home Olympics final. I've let everyone down and blah, blah, blah. And then my coach turned to me because I was in one of the first heats. Yeah. So then once all the heats had swam, my coach just ran up to me and was like, Becky, you're in eighth, go swim down. And I was like, oh, I was like, okay. <laughs> And I just totally had to switch in that moment of, okay, get back into race mode. I have made the final. It doesn't matter that I'm in outside lane and I'm only going in eighth. I've got a lane. I've got a chance. I've got anything. Let's just roll with it. Um, so actually in that was just to get a bronze medal, to go from not making it to then getting in eighth to then coming third. I, what a day that was. It was an emotional roller coaster for me, but one that I was so proud of. Um, the time was faster than Beijing as well, so that it was the fastest time I'd done in a textile suit. Um, so again, it was like brilliant for me because it was like a personal best at that time. And I was just like, okay, brilliant. Everything was just amazing. I knew I wasn't going to get the gold. The girls were just so much faster and they were just way more sprinty than I was. So to come out with a bronze, I was just over the moon with it. Almost felt like a gold medal to me because I was like, oh my gosh, relief of not of going through that journey and having the crowds there and everything else and the home Olympics and my family and friends and everyone were watching. So that was just brilliant. But the 800 was just so different. It was just, I felt ready. And it was just from a technical aspect, the only thing that went wrong is I peaked two weeks before. I just got the timing of the season wrong. Like me and my coach had tried to analyze it so much. And we just... We are normally working on a 12-week cycle in swimming, and I did a 15 one. I just got it wrong by two weeks. If it was just two weeks earlier, and it was just it was our own fault, um, and no one else is to blame other than the training. But I think because nothing was wrong, it was kind of like that's even harder to get your head around. It wasn't like I was ill or injured or anything like that. I just dived in and had nothing to give. Mm. And it was the most bizarre feeling as an athlete when you just like, you know, there's nothing else you can do. I'm pushing my body to the limit and I am not moving. The pull feels like treacle. And I was like, this isn't good. And <laughs> you know what? I just put my head down in that race and I just didn't give up. There was, it, I could have so easily just backed off 1% to make it slightly easier. And I just didn't. And I just gave it my all. And at the time, I was so disappointed with the time. And still to this day, I can never say I'm proud of the time that I swam. That will always be kind of like a disappointment to me. But I am so proud of being able to get a bronze medal. I'm so proud of how I handled it. I'm so proud that I never gave up, um, that I'm now very proud of that bronze medal. And not many people can say they've got an Olympic medal from every race they've been in. And so many people say to me, like, oh, do you not wish it was the other way around? And you got the golds in London and the bronze in Beijing. And I'm like, that's not real life. I was like, <laughs> life doesn't happen like that. And that's made me who I am. And it kind of like doesn't matter that it was that way around. I still got two bronze medals I'm very, very proud of. And um, so many people, I remember getting so many messages going, you're such a disappointment. How dare you? And how disgraced I was for getting two bronze medals. And I used to get so upset by them, like just was in floods of tears. I remember the night of my race, I just, I cried myself to sleep that night because I felt so bad. And it took me a long time to realize, hold on. No, what are you third in the world at? I was like, I was going to say, who's who's saying these things to you? Someone sitting on the lounge with a can in their hand and the TV remote. 
exactly but that's the way it is and when you social media is part of it everything just gets blown up in that way and to be fair some people do see a bronze as losing it's not a gold yeah. and i understand that that mentality i really do but at the same time i'm kind of like no i'm proud of that bronze medal and that kind of and i will always say i will always no matter where it is when people ask me for like a bio or what's mm. my title i'll always say four-time olympic medalist I don't want to just say double Olympic champion because yes, double Olympic champion sounds better and it's definitely more glamorous, but I'm still so proud of bronze. Like if I go into schools or do any events, I always take the bronze. Mm. I'm like, they're not the runt of the family. I'm going to take them. They're still amazing. And I'm still really proud of them. So I've learned to definitely love them. And they're definitely like more treasured um, medals than they kind of were at the time. I think it was just so much emotion from the past four years and I just couldn't stop crying on the podium and I felt like I'd let everyone down but I quickly realized you know what I've not let any of my friends or family down I gave it 100% and I can honestly say I've got no regrets in my career I don't look back and go well what if I'd done this and if I'd just done that and I just have no stone left unturned that that's got to stand for something well I think the thing that frustrates me about hearing you say that with those people and, and their commentary around it is Yes, you can be disappointed if if you chose to be with a bronze medal, but that's up to you as your as an athlete who went through that. That's not for anybody else to have a word about, and that's something that does frustrate me around social commentary and sometimes so called experts and people that'll throw a mic in front of someone and go, "So you know, you're expecting gold there, right?" I'm like, that's not for you to say. You're you're just yeah. meant to say, "How are you feeling? Are you happy with that?" It's a very good point. You're very wise. <laughs> I try to be. My wife doesn't think so, but I try to be. Um, have you got any uh, any good athletes' village stories for us? Um, do you know what? I this this actually annoys me because so many people go, "Oh yeah, there wasn't there this party and wasn't there this and isn't there that." I saw none of that. I'm literally <laughs> like, where was I? Like in <laughs> London, there was this random stat that like half a million condoms were distributed yeah. i never saw one i was like what's going on there i was like what there was no parties that i saw like the parties were outside of the village like yeah. once you're in the village like especially for a summers like we're first week like the athletes come in that compete in the second week you are respectful to them. Like they are still competing until the night of the closing ceremony when everyone does get a few beers and we all celebrate. That's, that's different. But before that moment, none of that happens because other people are still competing. You realize that. And it was just, I found the Olympic village just amazing. I remember just walking around going, Ooh, and I used to try and guess people's sport by like looking at the, like, Ooh, they must be a gymnast. They're quite little. And all oh, they they must be a sumo wrestler. I love all of that. I just used to just sit there in the dining hall and just like watch pe people watch. I just used to love it. It was amazing, but it was just such an incredible environment. It's like Disneyland for adults. It was just huge and it was just amazing seeing all these incredible people walking around and yeah, absolutely loved it. But none of the wild stuff went on in my block. I must no, have but you were dudded. Yeah. You were dudded from the fun. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> now someone that you uh, came across there in 2012 was a swimmer called Katie Ledecky. Now she is definitely a once in a generation athlete. She is a star and, and it doesn't matter for female athletes or I think just in swimming in general, she's, she's a superstar. What are your thoughts on her and, and her impact on, on the sport of swimming? 
I am the biggest Katie Ledecky fan. I just think as a distance swimmer myself, what she has done for the sport is just insane. Thing that, things that I never thought was possible, she's achieved. And actually, what a just a lovely person she is first and foremost. Like she was so sweet and lovely in London. Um, and she just, I've met all her family as well. Like her mum and dad came up to me and her brother and stuff at different competitions since London. Such a lovely family. Like just the, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. Do you know what I mean? It, it's even better when they're so lovely and nice that you're like, we want you to do well even more, even though you're reckon, I don't care. Like I just... I root for her so much because I think she has just changed the history of the sport. Like you said there, it doesn't matter that she's a female. What she has done for the sport full stop is just incredible. No one is even near her. And that's the thing for me that has just been absolutely outstanding to watch because we see these incredible people like Michael Phelps and like people in history that we're very lucky to have had those and witnessed those and she is just one of those she's a powerhouse of freestyle and I'm like the fact that she can compete across the two the four the eight the 15 I'm just like how how are you not tired like you're making me tired like go sit down but technically her ability as well and She's not one of those people, when you look at her technically, you don't think like, oh gosh, how she managed to do that. She has just taken every bit of strength in her physique and used it to her advantage. Her underwater catch is just amazing. You look at her and you think she's not got the best turns in the world. She's not a Caleb Dressel whose skills are absolutely amazing, but she puts it together and tactically she races incredibly. But physically and the way she dominates and the way she swims and attacks races is just insane and she's been doing it since she was like 15 as well and you just think how are you getting better like there's got to be a point where she plateaus or something but no she just keeps going she's an absolute powerhouse and she's always the event whenever it's Katie to the decade I'm always so excited to watch her race like so excited I'm like this is gonna be good I just know it <laughs> Spoke to her coach the other day, Greg Meehan, and even he said there are times in training where he sort of sits back and becomes more of a fan than a coach, obviously does his coaching bit, but there are times I said, do you just marvel sometimes in training? Yeah, he said, yeah, sometimes there's just this, she does things, I just go, wow. I can't believe that like people are able to keep up with her in training. I just think to myself, she just must be out on her own because <laughs> she is just an absolute animal like the, obviously we have seen a couple of the other girls starting to kind of bridge the gap but not to a full full extent yet and it's just kind of like that's what is like i'm waiting for the rest of the swimming world to catch up like it's mad that i still have the european record i'm like how how have the other girls katie's moved on so much how have you not caught up because i'm like she is just pure dominance in that event and i guess other people are like adam Peaty and whatever but the, that bridge has got to be closed at some point surely i think to myself and i'm just like i just i would love to watch her train i think i'd just be fascinated because she is just an incredible athlete and one that i think she's so rare i'm not sure we're going to find again for a long time i think i agree with you um, talk to me about your coach, Bill Furness, one of the world's best swimming coaches, head coach of Team GB for Rio. What impact did he have on, on your career? Everything. I just wouldn't have achieved what I did without Bill. Um, 
thing that I love about Bill the most is he treats you like a human being first. And I think that is so important because I see for a coach, I see them, they have 20, 25 athletes, athletes come and go all the time. It's on a constant conveyor belt for them. And there's just one of them and all these people whizzing past. Whereas for you as an athlete, it is that one person. They are your everything. But to the coach, you're just one of many and you're just on this conveyor belt. Whereas Bill just doesn't treat you like that. For me, Bill treated me like I was the only one, even though I wasn't. And he had loads of others and he treated me like that. I just loved that about him. He saw the human side and he was like, okay, she is just a teenage girl. You kind of have to cater for that as well. Um, we're not just athletes human stuff affects how we perform and you've got to treat us like human beings. And he always used to make it fun as well. Like I don't know many coaches that like we used to make a bet with each other, every competition. We both used to write a time down on a piece of paper that we thought I'd, I'd go and whoever was closest had to buy the other one a chocolate cake. Most of the coaches shun their athletes eating cake of any sort. Whereas Bill just used to be like, God, she can have a slice of cake if she wants to. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, just take it so seriously and they're they're all i find coaches are a little bit like who can kill their athlete off more who can push them to the limit more whereas bill was like hold on we've got to have fun in this like let's keep the fun there and let's kind of make this enjoyable and we just had we really worked on our relationship outside of the pool as well as in the pool because we needed to trust each other completely that I'd be not against going for a coffee with Bill. Do you know what I mean? It was like that nice relationship. It wasn't just come into the pool, down to business and go again. It was just be like, oh, how are you? And he used to tell us stuff and even named one of his chickens after me. Granted, they died, the, chicken, the chicken died fairly quick, but still, it was really nice. I was going to say, he didn't eat the chicken, did he? No, but the chicken did get attacked by a fox, so I didn't last very long. <laughs> but still, it was just like, it was so nice. Like I love his daughter, his wife, everything. Like we have that su such a close relationship. Like I got to the point where I was talking to Bill more than I'd talk to my own parents because I didn't live at home anymore. And I'm seeing my coach 24 seven. I didn't see my parents 24 seven. And he became like my second dad and my parents trusted him immensely. The best thing that my parents ever did for me was just leave it to me and Bill. Like when I went to Bill at 12, he, the first thing Bill said to my parents was, I don't do parents. And my parents were like, oh, like, that's a bit weird. And my mum and dad were like, okay, well, we don't know something. We're going to trust in you. And that's exactly what they did. And that was really hard for my dad. My gosh, that was hard for my dad to do. Like, because my dad is such a sports fan. And my dad was like, she's my little baby girl. And it was just kind of like a really hard thing. But it was the best thing that they did because they just let us develop our own relationship, our own path. They let us go through the highs and lows together and really um, come together to have so much mutual respect and trust for one another. I never questioned his decisions or anything. I just, I trusted him 100%. And I, I just, I'm so grateful to have had an amazing coach because I know so many other athletes that didn't quite get it right with their coach um, and didn't quite achieve what they wanted to. But I think it was because of that relationship. And I just think that relationship is the most important of all. Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of not all athletes and coaches match, but when you get it, it is a, a beautiful thing. But talk to me about your decision to retire. Was it a difficult one to, to walk away from the pool? And, and what led you to that decision? Because you weren't entirely that old to be, you know, giving it away. 
No, um, I was 23. I knew London was going to be my last Olympics. I knew I didn't have another four years in me. Um, but I did think about Glasgow Commonwealth Games, um, mainly because Delhi was quite a weird experience. Um, but also because a home Commonwealth Games, like even though it was, I'm not Scottish, it was still, I still class it as home. It's still the UK to me. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it was a home Commonwealth Games. And could I do that? But um, so I knew it was my last Olympics and I just got to the point where I fully thought about in London what I wanted to do. And I thought about setting up my own learned swim program. And so I set that up pretty quickly after London and I just preferred doing that every day. There was just, and most of the time you have your couple of weeks off and you're like, Oh, I'm ready to get back in now. I just wasn't ready. I was like, I much prefer doing this. And it just was so clear to me. My heart is not in there anymore to compete. I just had had enough of competing and I wanted to do something different in the sport. And I still felt like swimming was, because I'm so involved in swimming now, like I still get my love and my passion, even though I'm not competing. Yes, I'm not doing the training and yes, I'm not an elite athlete, but I still live and breathe the sport. Everything I do is evolved around swimming. So yeah. I just feel like I've moved departments and it just became a really natural thing. Um, don't get me wrong that doesn't mean I didn't struggle I think like I didn't struggle with the decision but at the same time I still went through a period where I was like oh my god I've got no routine I've got no structure I can do anything I want for the first time in my life at 23 I didn't have anyone guiding me I didn't have a coach or anyone telling me what to do my life wasn't mapped out for me that freaked me out. Of course it did. I was like, my God, what am I going to do? I'm now independent properly for the first time. And that was kind of a scary notion. But at the same time, it was just, I was on to the next chapter of my life. I wanted to experience the next thing and I have no regrets in my career, none at all. Um, so I'm very, very lucky and I don't miss it because the people, the, the people that I miss still friends with I still see them all the time they're still my best mates now so again it's I do miss a bit of traveling I definitely miss that but at the same time I'm lucky enough that with the commentary stuff that I've done for for the BBC here and um, I've still been able to go out like I went out to Rio that was just amazing working in Rio and just I've still been able to just still be such a big fan of the sport and I still love it now I still get excited and nervous my emotions are all over the place I'm like come on <laughs> In 2015, you gave birth to your daughter, Summer, and I mentioned that earlier. How much have you enjoyed being a mum? And, and you're very busy, so talk to me about balancing and how you balance work and life and, and, and home. And it's been described to me at uh, one stage with um, Gian Rooney as, as juggling balls and you're only going to focus on the one that's about to hit the ground and then you grab that one, throw it back up, and then away you go again. What's it been like for you? That's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> very good way. Um, it's definitely, yeah, it has its challenges, doesn't it? And I think it's just that balance. Um, I think being a mum completely changed me as a person. I realise I'm totally a worrier. I think most people thought I was going to be like the bad cop. John, there's always a bad cop and a good cop. Everyone thought I was going to be the, like the bad cop parent. I'm not. I'm so soft. I, like, I'm the good cop all over. But it's just, it definitely has made me kind of a softer person, a more loving person. And as an athlete, you go from being, having to be selfish to being then a parent and being so selfless. Like you cannot be a selfish parent. It just doesn't work. They don't go hand in hand because everything is about that child. Um, so I think that's totally shifted in a 
brilliant way. Um, but becoming a single parent then was a very difficult challenge and a very difficult balance to be because nobody goes into being parents thinking you're going to do this by yourself. So going through a divorce and going through that whole period was definitely tough as well. Um, it was definitely moments where I just thought, oh my gosh, can I do this? And you just power on through because your, sm your child smiles at you and goes, mommy, I love you. And you go, yeah. I love you too. And you just <laughs> wipe away the tears and you crack on and that's what you do. And they don't care what's going on because they just want to play and be like, can I do this? And you're like, yeah, why not? And um, yeah, it's one of those finding the balance. I think we all at moments in our life could get the balance a little bit better. I think sometimes I've got the balance right and then something shifts and then it falls off again. So exactly like you said. Um, so we all need to, I think it's a constant um, evaluation and working out, have I got the balance right? Uh, but lockdown has helped that as well. I think being at home together um, has been amazing. I never got this time with my mum and dad growing up. I never had three months straight of just being with my mum and dad. Cause you know, normally we get six weeks summer holidays. I'm not sure how much, how much you guys get. But yeah, it's about that. Only, yeah, so you only get six weeks normally. So to have like three months solid um, together has just been absolutely amazing. It's definitely made our bond a lot closer with her dad as well. So it's just been brilliant. It has been really nice, even though we're going through this awful pandemic and awful thing, it's actually been a nice thing for people to be at home a lot more and slow down. Mm. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said crack on. I mean, it's such an easy, you know, terminology, but I have a lot of my mates who are, don't have kids yet. And they're like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I do? I just do what I have to do. And they're like, how do you know what to do? I'm like, I don't know what to do. I just do what I have to do. She's hungry. I feed her. She needs her nappy changed. I change her nappy. She, you know, wants to watch something. I put it on. Like I just, she is the boss. I just do whatever keeps her going, keeps her happy. The one thing I say to anyone who is like pregnant or whatever, I go, if anyone tells you they are not winging it, they are lying. Yeah, Run away from that person if they tell you that because that is lies. I was like, everyone is winging it everyone that is the whole thing winging it and crack on are the, just the two things that you've got to live by as a parent because that's just what it is nobody knows and those parents that try and pretend that they've got it all together and they know what they're doing they're lying because yeah, they're, the, they're the worst they're the ones that are behind the scenes really pulling their hair out <laughs> <laughs> but it's true because you think you've got over one hurdle and then another one throws at you so you just crack on and you just go with what your guts tells you and like you said the obviously not when they're a baby they can't tell you what's going on but as they get older yeah. just listen to them and then you'll be fine um you've been on tv now um for i think about what six or seven years i'm not sure because obviously you're not on australian tvs but about six seven years is that right yeah yeah in various roles and, and one in particular, obviously you touched on it there with the commentary. Uh, you've been a world champs, you've been to the Olympics. How much do you enjoy being on the other side and, and getting the best seat in the house? It's amazing. I love it. I get to have my hair and makeup done. I sit there in a pretty frock and I just chat swimming. It's lovely. And I'm just, I'm so grateful because like you said, I get the best seat in the house. It's absolutely amazing because I'm such a 
fan of the sport and I love the sport that I get a great view. I get to talk to the athletes. I get to talk about my passion. Um, it's amazing. I absolutely love it. It's just incredible and the best job in the world. And I'm so grateful and fortunate for it that I just never want it to go away. And I hope I can do it forever. <laughs> What's the toughest thing about being a commentator though? There must be something where you're like, mm, I don't want to do it, but it's part of my job. I've got to. It's hard sometimes when somebody doesn't perform. Um, that is always difficult because you understand as an athlete that they are hurting and, and you have to be really constructive. And I think, I hope that I do it in a respectful way. It's nothing ever personal. It's kind of going, well, that didn't look right or they didn't look as confident or what is going on there and kind of having that kind of conversation. And I hope I'm having the conversation that they're having anyway, that they are asking themselves. I'm not kind of doing it in a brutal way. And it's kind of one of those that you really feel for them. Um, and it is always hard as well. If you don't know something like we've had it a couple of times where an athlete has been ill and nothing gets said about it. Only the team know, only that team know that they've been ill. And then we get told literally after they've raced and after we've criticized them. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just communicate that? Because we want to share that on telly. And yeah. we've kind of communicated to the British team. I've had conversations with Bill as well, going, there needs to be a better relationship. And I'm not sure how it works for you guys in Australia, but kind of here, the media is seen as like, oh no. Mm. And it's kind of like off limits. And I'm like, but if you, we're passionate about the sport, we're not trying to pull you down. So if you guys as a British team talk to us and kind of get us on side and we'll all communicate to each other, well, then be able to portray it miles better on telly because we know what's going on. So just communicate those things to us and then we'll be able to kind of narrate them in a much better way. But we do need to bridge that gap and do need to kind of build that relationship a little bit more because we're not trying to pull people down. Definitely not. I think sometimes you just have to ask the really tough question when somebody didn't perform. Mm. You mentioned Team GB there and it's in a pretty good place at the moment from an outsider's perspective, but you, you have the bird's eye view. How excited are you for Tokyo 2021 for the Great Britain team? given the wealth of talent at the moment and fingers crossed, you know, it all still goes ahead, but how excited are you for, for the team and the, the possible, you know, results ahead? Yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's in the best position I think it's been in. Um, obviously, we're very lucky to have somebody like an Adam PT, but I think more than that, we've got more depth over the past few years. Adam is our poster boy and that will always be the way. And Adam is always kind of like, well, no, he'll, he'll do well. But actually what excites me is the rest of the team as well. We've got way more depth with our relays than we've ever done before. Like our relays now are just exciting. I wish kind of the women's relays need to kind of get a lot better. Our women's side isn't quite where the men's side is. Um, but the men's relays and our mixed relays are in a brilliant position. Um, so they're looking absolutely fantastic. And we've never had that depth before. So the fact that we've got that depth now um, is, is incredible. We've got quite a lot of the younger guys coming up, like Freya Anderson and people that are just before covid <laughs> they were on such an amazing path and um especially some of the younger athletes coming through like especially for freya she just isn't phased she'll get in next to frederica pellegrini who is like ridiculous amount of medals and she's just like yeah just 
just her. She just isn't phased by anything. And it's, she's, it's such a lovely attitude to have that she doesn't battle with that. I'm sure she is nervous, but she doesn't seem to let it phase her. And I think having people like Adam on the team has really inspired everyone, really made people realize, you know what? It is possible. We're all just people. We're all just human beings. There's nothing that makes Adam any different to any other athlete. Um, he just works hard and cracks on and wings it, as we say. With very <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what they've done. And so the team are looking great. I'm really excited. Um, obviously, hopefully it'll all go ahead. Um, not sure the level of um, fitness has probably been the same because we don't have outdoor pools and things like other countries do. I know a lot of other people have pools in their back gardens they've been able to train in in lockdown. We've quite not had the same, but at the same time, they've got long enough now to prepare that hopefully yeah. it's not kind of harm them too much. Yeah, that talent doesn't go anywhere, does it? It'll still be there when they get back. It's just a matter of putting the glue around it. Um, I like to finish some of our chats with some less serious questions because I think they give us a little bit more of an insight into what you guys are like at home and away from work and swimming and all that sort of stuff. So I'm going to throw some rapid yeah. fire stuff at you um, and then whatever okay. first comes to your mind, you throw it out there, no matter how embarrassing it is because I have had a few people you know a few of the boys are like oh country music and i'm like that's okay you can like country music <laughs> there's no judgment here so whatever first comes to your mind so first one obviously is yeah favorite music what do you like to listen to um just pop chart music sort of stuff i'm very much just that and um, my daughter loves like camilla cabello and things like that so she's where whenever that is on she's like mommy can we listen to that she loves demi lovato at the minute so it's mainly just stuff that i dance around with my daughter were you a spice girls fan being from england uh, yes 100 percent. i always used to pretend in the playground like i was a spice girl i had got shoved with baby because i'm blonde or sporty mm. but that's fine i'm happy to be either <laughs> are, are they doing a comeback what's going on with that i keep hearing it's going to happen and then someone pulls a diva moment and they're not doing it what's happening do you know they did like tour a little bit with the four of them, but yeah, as far as I know, Victoria is like, nah, not happening, not coming back, um, is what is in our press. I don't know. I don't know them, but, um, I mean, she's pretty yeah, set I, up, isn't she? It's, it's not like yeah. she's struggling. It's not like she's, she's struggling for cash that she's like, listen, let's get the band together. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> now we talked about this before we started. What about your favorite movie? Dirty Dancing, that's clear one. It's just, I must have seen it over a hundred times. I can pretty much narrate it word for word when I watch it. I annoy everyone when it's on because I just talk through it because I know the words and I love it. I don't care. <laughs> did you ever try the, the leap, in the, especially in the water, being how long you were in the water for? Did you ever get someone to hold you up? I'm probably better the other way around and lifting somebody else up. <laughs> then I have somebody picking me up. I've done it with my daughter though. That was fine. <laughs> what about uh, favorite meal? Swimmers definitely like their feeds and they like certain meals. What What's some of your favorites? You know what? I will. I love all food, but my all-time favorite is my mum's Sunday roast. I don't know if you guys do roast dinners. Do you have roast dinners? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We do Sunday roasts. I mean, not okay. me personally because I'm a horrible cook, but <laughs> I, oh. I definitely know there are families that do it, yes. Oh, see, my mum's Sunday roast, I would choose a Sunday roast any day of the week and just Yorkshire puddings and just roast potatoes, veg, oh, just gravy the best. 
What about some of the favorite countries you've visited? You've, you've, you've been around the world in terms of, you know, where you've got to visit with your swimming. Have you got any favorites that stick out to you? Um, Australia, it really is. And I absolutely love it. We used to go over there so much. Um, when I was younger, we used to train on the Gold Coast all the time. We pretty much went every year. Then I've had Melbourne Commonwealth Games there. I've been uh, raced in Perth. I then went out to Brisbane. Um, I did I'm a Celebrity, so I went in the jungle here, which is our big show, um, in Australia. So spent another kind of couple of months there. Um, and I just absolutely love it. Do you know what I love about you guys is your coffee. You have the best coffee. Everywhere you go is good quality coffee, whereas here it is a rare find. You have to kind of like hunt out good coffee. And I'm such a coffee person. I'm a coffee snob, if you like, that I'm like everywhere you go in Australia, there's just nice coffee. And I love that you love breakfast. Like it's very rare that you have places to go out for breakfast, whereas I just love your guys' culture that is just wake up, you can go out for breakfast, nice coffee all the time. The weather's lovely. Oh, I just love it. Everyone's up nice and early, got the day rolling. I definitely love to have a coffee after coaching. So we go five till seven, the session's finished. Then me and the coaches go for a coffee. We sit down, we don't even talk about swimming really. We just talk about shit, but it's, it's still nice to just go have a coffee and, and get away from everything. Definitely, definitely. Who doesn't like coffee? What, what's, your cof- what's your favorite coffee? What do you have? To be fair, I'll drink any sort of coffee. I've recently gone into more just kind of like a black kind of AeroPress sort of coffee, but I will happily sit down and have like a flat white or a cappuccino or anything as well. Like anything that's got coffee and I'm there, like I'm just, as long as it's coffee, I'm fine. <laughs> Absolutely. I am with you. What I about you? I wouldn't have a flavored one. No, you know, that like ruins with- it. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm not into that. Like, and I hate the fact that like, been in America doing some of the ISL stuff and then used to ask for like just a normal size cappuccino. They give you like a bucket. <laughs> I don't want like a bucket of drink. Like it's just so milky and ridiculous. I want to be able to taste the coffee. Like what's the point? I don't want this. I just want my nice little coffee. Just make it a bit smaller. I don't need the cream. I don't need the flavorings. Just make coffee. Sugar, no sugar. No sugar. No sugar. If it's 100%. good quality coffee, you shouldn't need sugar. I 100% really agree with you. Only if it's bad coffee do you need sugar. I remember once, I don't know what was going on with me. I, I put one sugar in because I, I don't know, I was having an off day and I thought, oh yeah, chuck a sugar in. Oh, horrible. I couldn't drink it. I had to throw it out. I was like, what did I do that for? That was horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah. What about your favorite TV shows to binge watch? Do you, do you, You've got Netflix. What have you got over there? Do you like to get into the TV shows? I love Schitt's Creek that's on Netflix. It's so funny. Schitt's Creek is one of my favourite. Um, we recently started the Zac Efron one, Down to Earth. That's mm-hmm. like, Zac Efron's done like a travel show. And it's just come on Netflix. And that is amazing because he goes to all these different countries and he does like, it's not like a superfood thing, but he went to Iceland to look at how their energy is all 100% renewable. He's done France, which was all about water and all that sort of stuff. So it was just amazing looking at different countries and like how to be a bit more sustainable and how to kind of help the environment and things like that. So any sort of travel shows I love as well. Um, I, I think they're just amazing to watch. And Friends is always a classic for me. I'm a Friends girl through and through. I'll always just whack an episode of Friends on if I'm just need to pick me up. Who's your favorite um, character? Do you know what? It swaps. 
I used to really dislike Ross in the first couple of series, but Ross gets brilliant the last couple of series. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and I, I love them all. I just think they're all amazing. But yeah, I love Chandler. I love Chandler's humour. I think his little puns and jokes are just hilarious. I, I, I like them all, but um, yeah, I like them all. Now, if we were at a bar and I was going up to, uh, to the bar to get you a drink, what would I buy you? A gin and tonic. Very nice. Is that, is that, do you go outside of that? Is that just your favorite? What else do you have? That's always my favorite. Um, I like vodka, so I'll drink vodka as well. Um, I don't mind like a lighter beer, like a cause or like that sort of beer that's a bit lighter. Yeah. I don't like a heavy beer. Like I'm like, oh, it makes me a bit bloated. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I like, um, I do like cocktails. I like a cocktail every now and again, but they are so sweet that after like one or two, I'm done, which is why I stick to gin is they're like the fruity and light and you can drink loads and it hydrates they, you. They can also be very dangerous, those sort of cocktails. I remember once we were at a, uh, like a family party and there was like a slushy machine that was like a made into oh. a cocktail. And my nan, who was like 75 or something, she had no idea that it was alcoholic. So she's over there loading up the <laughs> loading up the slushies, and in the end, she was all over the place. And I, I didn't even I noticed at the end. I said, "Now, how many of these have you had?" She's like, "Oh, five or six. So, oh, then you're going to have to go and lay down. <laughs> they are lethal. They are lethal. <laughs> now, one thing I like to do that's completely different. I, I don't normally do this uh, on the show, but given that you guys come on from across the world, and I've had Hannah Miley on, and I've played this game with her, I like to. Um, get to see your knowledge and test your knowledge on Aussie slang terminology. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give okay. you a sentence and then i just want you to tell me what you think that means. What, what have I said really in, in, in okay. English terms? Uh, so if I was cracking open a cold one, what would I be doing? Drinking a beer. Yes. Yes. If I was buggered, what would I be? If I said to you, I'm buggered, what would I be? Tired. Tired, there you go. See, I don't know. Some of these might be universal, but I definitely know we, we use them over here. Uh, if I said, if you said to me, what are you having for dinner tonight? And I said, I was just going to throw on a few snags. Oh, steaks? Sausages. But it's all right. It's used to good. Yeah. I thought it was some sort, but yeah, no, I've not heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I was chucking a sickie, if you said to me, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm going to chuck a sickie. What do you think I'm doing? Pretending to call in sick to work. 100%. That is uh, an Aussie yeah. favorite to do. What are you doing? I'm chuck a sickie tomorrow. I'm not going to work. Um, <laughs> I've heard that one before. We sometimes say that. So, yeah. If I was wearing a pair of thongs. Oh, flip-flops. Yes. Now, if Americans come on, they have no idea. They think I'm being really cheeky. Um, <laughs> if I was driving and I was on the phone, I'm hands-free, by the way. And I said to you, I was pulling into a servo. What would I be doing? Pulling into a services? Service station, like a gas station, yeah. petrol station, whatever. Yeah, 100%. Well, you got most of those right. I think you did pretty well. Oh, good. There you go. You doubted yourself at the beginning. You should never doubt yourself. You learned that. The one that always throws me, is it Bogan? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like, um, to give you an example, it's like hillbilly in America. It's like a chav here. So we yeah. would call them a chav, like a chav. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I grew up in, uh, in Campbelltown in Western Sydney and yeah, we're, we're thought of as bogans. I don't think of myself that way, but definitely if someone knows where I'm from, that's what they think. 
Um, now, mate, I want to finish with with a, a more serious question. What What do you want your legacy to be for our great sport? So, if I mentioned, you know, your name to young English swimmers over there and young swimmers all over the world, what would you want them to remember about you as an athlete? Um, hopefully, that I'm just an ambassador for the sport. I think I've tried to promote swimming so much and. It, for me, it doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter um, if you want to be competitive or not. I just want people to love swimming. I want them to learn to swim. I want them to enjoy swimming. Um, and I hope that I've just been able to do that in the best way possible, no matter what it's been through, just to talk about the sport, get this, raise the profile, but just be a good ambassador and be a good role model and show people. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are, what size or anything. If you just work hard and um, you can definitely achieve your dream well i think you've done a phenomenal job in doing that uh, absolutely now i want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast i know you're very busy with a lot of other stuff going on you got your daughter you got work so i appreciate you taking the time um, it's been an honor and a privilege to get to go through your remarkable career with you you're a champion in and out of the pool and i know the listeners will get a lot out of listening to your stories and the wisdom that you've shared today finally thank you very much for uh, being you know, just an unbelievable contributor to the sport. And you continue to do that with your, with your work uh, in commentary. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you. Today's episode of the podcast is proudly powered by Pro Swim Workouts. Now, if you are loving the podcast this week, make sure you check us out on YouTube as well. There are a 20-minute best-of clips. There are a lot of fun, some great advice, and a very different way of experiencing Off the Block Swimming podcast. So head over now, like, and subscribe to make sure you don't miss a minute of the action that's coming your way in Season 3. On tomorrow's podcast, we have one of the most talented and popular athletes on the Australian team right now. She has been one of the most requested guests, and of course, I'm talking about Kaylee McEwen. Awesome chat with Kaylee coming your way tomorrow on all podcast platforms as well, as I've mentioned, on YouTube, so make sure you get around it when it drops tomorrow. Until then, though, guys, have a great day. Say something nice to someone for no reason at all other than you just being nice, and it's bye for now.